This is a Radio 1 91FM podcast. The 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party is set to take place in just two days. It's a massive event where many commentators say that Xi Jinping will seek a third five-year-long term. But China is in a delicate place at the moment. Although it's a geopolitical, military and economic powerhouse, the Chinese yuan has hit record lows against the US dollar, and its housing market is in a tender spot as a decline in construction and housing sales has taken place. Additionally, China is still pursuing a zero-COVID approach to, to the pandemic, it uses, and it uses fairly aggressive means to contain the virus, such as using buses to transport COVID carriers to quarantine facilities across the mainland. Joining me to speak about on this intersection between China's zero-COVID approach, a decelerating economy, and the head of state seeking a third term is Director of the New Zealand Contemporary Chinese Research Centre, Associate Professor Jason Young. Kia ora, Jason. How's it going? Uh, kia ora. I'm very good, thanks. Good. In August, the Chinese government halted funding to developers to prevent a speculative property bubble from forming. Has their policy of reducing high, p- high prices, high debt and high financialization worked in preventing the speculative bubble? Um, well, I think you know the property market in China is uh, continues to drop. Um, so in that way, you could suggest that the speculative bubble is, is, is starting to uh, at least deflate. Um, but they're in a tough spot, and because well, on the one hand, you know, the property market has been an engine of growth, uh, and it's part of the broader sort of unbalancing or really imbalanced property market um, e- economy in China, where. Uh, there's very low consumption, and most of the money goes into investment uh, in the property market in particular. Uh, there's a lot of um, borrowing uh, by property developers, uh, and if they don't have more properties coming along, uh, then they are uh, in, in danger. Uh, we've seen a lot of mortgage boycotts from uh, families who have mortgaged, put down money for a property uh, even while it's being built, uh, and now they're not sure if it's going to come through. Uh, and we've seen a few property developers go bust, like uh, Evergrande. We've even seen uh, people within the party sort of arguing that uh, Chinese Communist Party members uh, should actually buy more property uh, as a way of trying to uphold the property market, which is you know, quite ironic if you think about what a Chinese Communist Party is. Uh, and we've seen local government um, buying uh, up a lot of the property to try and sort of slow that, that crash. Um, we might see next week after at the party, party congress, we might see the government intervene. Um, but on the one hand, they don't really want to intervene because they want the market to um, get back to where it should be um, and not have so much speculation. But on the other hand, they don't want it to uh, pop and then have a, a massive crash and economic instability. So it's a tough spot. It is a tough spot. Uh, they... China projected a growth, or wanted to achieve a growth, a GDP growth that is, of 5.5% this year, but it's likely they'll only hit 3.5%. Do you think there's any way they could make that two extra decimal, uh, two, two extra percentage points? Um, no, well, you know, Chinese growth figures and the sort of the, the, the numbers and the data around that are, are, are quite malleable uh, in that sense, but I would suggest that they probably won't try to make it up um, and that Chinese economic growth uh, this year will be a lot slower for for, for a number of different reasons: um, international environment, the COVID nineteen, the dynamic zero COVID nineteen strategy, uh, etc. But but I, I would be very surprised to see them hit that target. 
Mm. Now, speaking of the zero COVID approach, China is continuously pursuing an elimination approach to COVID-19. Now, in a world where a lot of countries have sort of opened the floodgates on COVID, Aotearoa included, why is China remaining firm in stamping out COVID in such an aggressive manner after the pandemic's been going on for so long? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mystery. Um, there's a, a, a few sort of reasons which we could try to think of. Um, so the first one would be that, um, uh, quite ironically, even though you've had this massive a government push to, um, to for lockdowns and, you know, sort of whenever there's a case, you know, whole buildings or whole streets are basically put in lockdown or taken away to um, special facilities. Um, we haven't seen the same push in terms of vaccination. And so China still has a very low vaccination rate, particularly for the elderly. Um, and, of course, as countries like um, Aotearoa and New Zealand have, have shifted away from sort of managing uh, the virus through lockdowns and, and more towards, uh, I guess, living or coping with the virus by having a highly uh, vaccinated population, which um, reduces um, uh, the dangers of the virus, uh, that China doesn't really have that option. So, so that's one reason. Um, the second reason, reason is that some people have talked about uh, is that in China it's, it's become incredibly political uh, in the sense that when the virus first came out, you know, there was, there was chaos for a while and then it spread around the world. Uh, and then China introduced a very strict um, COVID policies and they actually declared uh, what they called a, a people's war on the virus. And in many ways, they were very, very successful at um, stopping the spread of the virus within the community. And they've managed to maintain that even when countries like New Zealand, you know, Omicron slipped in and then it got into the community. Uh, that hasn't happened to the same degree in China. So they're still pursuing that same old strategy. And politically, uh, part of it is that when, when um, COVID spread around the world and was arguably mishandled in, in many, many parts of the world, particularly in the Western world, in countries like the United States, the, the Chinese state media were very, very critical of that and basically used it as a way of um, saying that... Um, the Chinese government response was, was a lot stronger. Um, and so it's very, very hard politically for them to shift to to a model where there are um, COVID cases in the community and there would, I imagine, be likely be a, a high death rate, uh, in, particularly in the elderly population. Um, the, the other uh, argument I've seen sort of floating around is that it's, it's part of a sort of an opening and closing of, of China that we see um, uh, throughout the decades where um, China was in a very open period um, and now it's kind of become very closed uh, and particularly with the Party Congress coming up uh, next week, perhaps this is you know, just useful for them to, to remain somewhat insulated. Um, Do you think that this continuous elimination strategy has greatly affected the governmental stability in China or damaged the CPC's mandate to govern at all? Well, I, th I think internationally there's been... Um, um, increasing concern uh, with, I guess, the, the, the strengthening of authoritarianism in China. Uh, within China, it's, it's always very hard to tell uh, the level of um, public support for, for, for the government and, and for, the, for the Chinese Communist Party. And there's been a few incidences uh, that we've seen where people have become very unhappy in the lockdown in Shanghai. Uh, the social media response there was 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 really, really strong, people complaining about all sorts of things, and they're very unhappy. Um, we've also seen uh, social media posts 
about you know, things like a, a busload of people. People get put in a bus because they are you know, uh, they have COVID and they get taken to another facility. There was a tragic case where the bus um, rolled off a, a mountain and, and all the people died and people criticizing that, that that's unnecessary. Um, we're also seeing just yesterday there was a, a protest movement um, in Beijing uh, where someone un- unveiled a banner talking about how unhappy they are of the government at the Sitong Chao, uh, Sitong Bridge in Beijing. And so, you know, people people are complaining um, about the COVID um, policies and about how strict it is. Um, but then also I think a lot of people would, would want to see the government trying to do all that they can in terms of health measures um, and you know, access to information outside of China is also um, strictly limited as well. Uh, people are also complaining about a, a lot of other things, uh, the freedom of speech, the inability to travel, um, the, the really problematic uh, international engagement that, that people within China have outside of China. Um, but there has, as far as I'm aware, there has not been any sort of... Um, linked up movement within China to to, to demonstrate this. And, and that's incredibly hard to do in that kind of country. Now, uh, speaking more on the central government here, Xi Jinping is seeking a third term at the Communist Party Congress uh, in this week. And many believe that it's quite likely he'll remain the Communist Party's general secretary and head of the military. Uh, what does Xi seeking a third team mean... F- uh, sorry, what does Xi seeking a third term mean for China's politics? Yeah, so in in China, the Chinese political system is basically a party state where um, you have one um, ruling party, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and then there's, there's a bunch of other parties, but they, they're really just consultative, um, they had no real power. Uh, and so the, the Chinese Communist Party, when they had their um, congresses, so every five years they have a, a party congress where all the top leaders of the party get together, uh, and then they vote in uh, a new congress. Uh, now, it's important because all of those positions are then transferred over into state positions uh, next year um, at, the, at the National People's Congress, which is the legislative body. Uh, and so back in the 50s and 60s, uh, after the revolution, the establishment of New China, or People's Republic of China, Mao Zedong basically uh, used his cult of personality and his um, you know, extreme power uh, to rule for life. Um, and a, a lot of people... A lot of people, including the Chinese Communist Party themselves, have criticised what uh, he did in his later years, particularly the, the Cultural Revolution, um, the Great Leap Forward, all of these disastrous policies. Um, but, but obviously, he, because of his position, he managed to stay in power. And so when, when Deng Xiaoping was in power in the 1980s, he sought to try to limit some of the power of the leaders within China um, to institutionalise leadership transition, to limit how long uh, they can stay in power for, uh, particularly in the government positions, but also in the norms of, of, of the party. So uh, Hu Jintao, Jiang Min, before that, they both only served for two five-year terms. Uh, and so now, today, if, uh, next week, if Xi Jinping stays on for a third term, uh, it suggests that he is uh, a more powerful leader and is of going back on those institutionalisation of leadership transition. Uh, and it also sort of suggests that um, he, he will be sort of surrounded by loyalists and have more of a freer hand. So, so, so basically it's a, sort of a step back in terms of Chinese political reform. Do you think this will uh, result in a further strengthening of authoritarianism in China? Well, I think that's already happened. 
Um, and I think it, it, it would certainly continue that trend. Um, and we've seen this sort of heightened ideological um, uh, environment within China as well, crackdowns on intellectual freedom, uh, this sort of constant propaganda about Xi Jinping thought, which is, you know, very tiring and problematic for, for the people in China who have to live through that, but also has, you know, really real-world consequences for um, uh, China's engagement with the outside world as well. So, so yes, yeah, a, a continuation, but not on a good trend, I would suggest. Thanks for listening to Radio 1 91 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.